0: Welcome to The Cauldron, a podcast hosted by Ed Bolden Greer, the creator of Ravensvale. In each episode, Ed will have free-flowing conversations about horror, life, culture, and personal growth. Expect to hear from storytellers, authors, horror experts, life gurus, thought leaders, and influencers. The Cauldron is a place where concoctions of a lot of ideas are brewed down to potions that are sometimes important and useful, sometimes eccentric and bizarre, but always just what you need. The Cauldron Podcast may contain explicit language and thematic elements not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Well, hey there, family. This is Jared Bolden-Greer, executive producer for the Ravensvale Cauldron. Today's episode is dedicated to my Uncle Tommy from Spartanburg, South Carolina. He's probably the biggest Sasquatch fan we know. He even named his doggo Sasquatch. So, Tommy, this one's for you.
1: Well, hey there, family. Welcome back to another episode of the Ravensville Cauldron. I'm your host, Ed Bolden Greer, and my new, well, old, kind of young? I, I don't <laughs> know. Now he's my permanent co-host, <laughs> Jacob Garner, a.k.a. Freddy Cat. Hello, hello, everyone. So if you've been following us over the last six weeks, uh, you know that Jacob and I have been hosting a series called Jacob's Haunting, aptly named after Mr. Garner here, who was serving then uh, as our series co-host. Well, folks, y'all like Jacob so much that last episode, we offered Jacob a permanent position as co-host of The Cauldron. So Jacob, what's been going on, man? Snowpocalypse 2024. That's what I've been up to. Oh, my God. Wasn't it terrible? It was.
2: I don't know. Did you guys measure out at your house? Because on the day that it finally stopped coming down pretty consistently, I grabbed a ruler out of my spare closet, and it was at 10 and a half inches. Yeah, snow.
1: we had we had in some places 10, 11 inches where like it was just piling up, and then Eight inches in the front yard where things were moving, and you know, so so anywhere from eight to ten inches.
2: I mean, it was terrible, and I remember I sent you those videos of me busting up the ice trying to get the cars out, right? And those, yeah,
1: busting them up with a weight. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Look, okay, I live in an apartment. I don't have a sledgehammer. I have a small hanging hammer that's like two ounces for hanging up picture frames. That was it. So I had
1: to use a fifteen. pound weight plate wait hold on back up so you call your hammer that you that's a tool yeah okay you call your hammer that you have a hanging hammer yeah because i mean it
2: is it's a claw hammer and it's made out of metal but i mean it's about the size of a phone it's not very
1: big at all i think we just call that a hammer
2: well whatever either way (laughs) it
1: was not gonna bust up that ice no no um and you know what i found so eerie Hmm. um after the, uh, you know, it had melted just a little bit and it froze back because we were we were down in the single digits for days. Yeah, like three or four days yeah. in a row. And, and especially at night. And um, one of the things that was so eerie is at night, you would see the snow and you could during the day, but it was more apparent at night. You'd see the snow and it had this sheen of ice over it. It looked unreal. It looked eerie, like a claymation episode. Oh yeah. I mean, and it was no joke by the way. Oh no. Uh, embarrassingly, I went out to get Jared's water out of the car and, um, on my way back in, I, I took a fall on the ice. (laughs) I'm telling you that has been the
2: first question to all of my clients this week since we got back. My very first question is, I just want to know, did you slip or fall on some ice? Yeah. I want to say 75% of all my clients. They're like, oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. Everybody it. was falling everywhere. Um and you know what? I'm I'm gonna be a little uh maybe negative here. Okay. Uh, it really it really bothers me when uh people from the north uh, say, well, y'all got, that's nothing. We we get that all the time. That's right. You do. You do get that kind of snow all the time, and you all go on to work and go on to school because you have road crews that oh, come yeah. through and do a fantastic job at clearing the roads. Here in Knoxville, Tennessee, in Knox County, uh, not so much. We didn't have the assets, as they called them, to clear all the roads, the roads primary, secondary, tertiary roads, uh, they cleared the main highways, the interstates and the the state highways, but the secondary roads. And then if they're not clearing those and you live on a hill and there's three, literally we were chipping up three inches of ice.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was using under the snow, 15 pound plate and it looked like I was cracking a coconut with my bare hands. Yep. And I sent you the pictures, man. Yep. The pile of ice that I had digging out. My partner's car, my car, and my neighbor's car, uh, it ended up being almost the height of a city trash can.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was it was bad. In fact, the snow was piling up around our trash cans, and uh, those those are the city trash cans you're talking about. It was piled up uh, almost to the top of them. Oh, it was ridiculous, man. And, you know, I felt so bad for my new neighbors that
2: lived downstairs from me. Um, they... Have only lived in America for six months. They're from Marrakesh, Marrakesh, Morocco. Oh, They'd yeah, never they've never seen, seen snow. snow in their entire life. I got to show their little kids. They have a three-year-old and a seven-year-old boy and a girl. I got to show them how to make snowballs for the first time, and I grabbed some cardboard and we sled down the snow hill. Oh, I mean, the, we had a blast. I mean, we were stuck in our apartment.
1: Oh, yeah. There was no getting for out. Eight I days. mean, you couldn't do anything. That reminds me of a story. Um, I was on a trip once to Vail, Colorado, and uh, with an organization uh, that I was involved in. And my good friend Charlie, she's from uh, Mississippi, down in the, the uh, Delta in Mississippi, and she'd never seen snow. Oh, my God. <laughs> and she was with us. And it was just like childhood. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it was yeah. like just the memories. Uh, watching her make her first snowball and things. It was just amazing. And just, to, I can only imagine uh, seeing kids do that for the first time.
2: Oh, man. It was it was so funny. The little girl, she, again, had never seen snow in her life. And I was talking to them. Their English isn't very good. They're still learning. Yeah. And I said, so what do you guys think about the snow? Isn't that cool? You guys have never seen snow before. And that little girl, in only the way a child can, looked at me with these big brown eyes and this huge smile. And she goes, No, I've never seen snow. Are we going (laughs) to (laughs) die?
1: Snowpocalypse 2024. Maybe we could (laughs) have. I know. On this episode, Jacob and I will take a look at a creature that has fascinated and terrified people for centuries. The elusive Sasquatch. Now, the Sasquatch, also known as Bigfoot, is a creature of mystery and intrigue. While its existence is the topic of debate, the Sasquatch has undeniably had a significant impact on popular culture and has sparked the curiosity of so many people from so many backgrounds. This episode aims to shed light on the positive aspects of the Sasquatch phenomenon. We'll take a deep dive into the history and mysteries of the creature that has haunted the forests of North America for over 200 years.
2: Well, Ed... Speaking of a deep dive, before we really dig into this episode, I thought it would be a really good idea to let people know that Small Raven Media, the production company for Ravensville Cauldron, has officially announced the date and location for this year's Appalachian Horror Fest. Appalachian Horror Fest 2024 will take place on a Saturday, uh, October the 12th, at Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. If anybody listening is interested in participating in Appalachian Horror Fest as a storyteller, musician, or volunteer— You can go
1: over to AppalachianHorrorFest.com and check everything out. That's right, Jacob. Thank you for that information. The first documented sighting of Sasquatch, also known as Bigfoot, can be traced back to 1811 when British explorer David Thompson found a set of large footprints and hundreds of footprints have been found since then. However, the modern concept of Bigfoot in the United States didn't really coalesce until the 1950s. It was in 1958 that journalist Andrew Ginzoli of the Humboldt Times highlighted a letter from a reader about loggers in Northern California who discovered some mysteriously large footprints. There have been visual sightings and even alleged photographs and videos, most notably, the infamous video clip uh, captured by Roger Patterson at Bluff Creek in California in 1967. The Sasquatch has become a cultural icon, featured in numerous books, films, and television shows. This has not only entertained millions around the world, but it has also contributed to the richness of our shared folklore and mythology. The Sasquatch represents the human fascination with the unknown and our innate desire to explore and understand the world around us. The search for Sasquatch has spurred scientific inquiry and exploration Cryptozoologists, those who study creatures whose existence has yet to be proven, have spent countless hours collecting and analyzing evidence in an attempt to validate the existence of the Sasquatch. This pursuit, while controversial, have led to advancements in fields such as wildlife biology and forensic science. But the Sasquatch isn't just a thing of legend. Over the years, there have been numerous reported sightings and encounters. Some people have even dedicated their lives to proving the existence of this elusive creature. Of course, not everyone is convinced. Skeptics argue that the evidence supporting the existence of the Sasquatch is inconclusive at best. Whether you're a believer or a skeptic, one thing is certain. The legend of the Sasquatch continues to captivate our imaginations. It's a reminder of the mysteries that still exist in our world waiting to be discovered. Hey, Jacob. Uh-huh. Did you have fun doing your homework this episode? Oh my God, yes. What did you learn about Sasquatch?
2: Okay, so Sasquatch, also known as Bigfoot. I figured, like a lot of our listeners, while we may have heard the term Sasquatch, where does it come from? Right. I think that that's a very interesting starting point. So I did my research and found that the term Sasquatch has its origins in the indigenous North American folklore, particularly among the coast of the Salish people of the Pacific Northwest. Derived from the Haukomelinum language spoken. That's a mouthful. I'm telling you, just buckle up, listeners. There's a lot of terms you're about to hear that I had to, I've got my pronunciation guides ready to go over here. Um, <laughs> spoken by the Coast Salish, quote, Sasquatch is believed to be a combination of the term sesk, meaning wild, and Kutz meaning man or beast, giving us what we now call Sasquatch, okay? The concept of Sasquatch is deeply rooted traditionally through word of mouth, eyewitness accounts, and such, up until the introduction of photography and video came along. But it really started from the indigenous people that lived in the Pacific Northwest where tales of large, hairy, and elusive humanoid creatures have been passed down I I guess, to the children over the campfire, stuff like that, Mm. right? The term gained broader recognition in the mid-20th century as interest in Bigfoot and cryptids grew, leading to widespread use in popular culture to refer to this mysterious ape-like creature reported in various sightings and encounters all over America and all over the world. Uh, Also in Canada.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess everybody knows Canada's part of the world, but... (laughs) In my research, I found that there were a lot of sightings in North America and Canada. So,
2: I think it would be a good idea to give a baseline description of a general consensus everybody has of Bigfoot or the Sasquatch. Bigfoot or Sasquatch is typically described as a large and hairy human-like mythical creature, alleged by some to inhabit anywhere where there is dark foliage, dense forestry, specifically found in like the Pacific Northwest, Uh, described mainly as a super buff, large, muscular, and bipedal, or ape-like creature. The descriptions of the hair color kind of range from either black, dark brown, or a dark reddish color. A couple of the descriptions that everybody seems to agree on estimate a height of roughly 6 to 9 feet, with some descriptions having the creature standing as tall as 10 or 15 feet.
1: Yeah, see, that just, that amazes me. Well, first, that we haven't seen this creature you know, with it being as big as it is, but, you know, as, as a lot of our listeners know, I have a master's degree in anatomy and physiology. So I did a little research and what I come up with is if, if this creature, we're going to assume it's muscular. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's 10 to 15 feet tall. That'd be between 400 and 820 pounds. Jesus. Yeah. It's just massive. Yeah. Well, that's not something I want call to run into it, not camping. I'm calling him Littlefoot. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Obviously, there are a whole host of explanations for the Sasquatch or Bigfoot. Uh, the most prominent one is definitely the cryptozoological explanation. A lot of people, ourselves included, view Bigfoot as a cryptid, a creature that is believed to exist based on a lot of eyewitness accounts, but not proven scientifically cryptozoologists, experts in this field, there are dedicated people who spend their entire life hunting for Bigfoot. They're kind of Bigfoot experts. They propose that Bigfoot was probably a previously undiscovered primate species. I'll kind of dig into that later on in the episode. Uh, Obviously, the Native American folklore, that's a huge starting point for a lot of Bigfoot mythos. The Two prominent uh, Native American groups in the Pacific Northwest that believe in it are the Coast Salish people that we spoke about earlier, as well as the—oh, lordy. The (laughs) Qua Qua Kaka Qua legends.
1: I think think you did pretty good on that.
2: Yes. Uh, I found the pronunciation—they pronounce it a lot quicker than I just did, but I'm not exaggerating when there is no less than about 10— K's and W's, and there's yeah, an it's apostrophe. Very, very
1: difficult word to pronounce.
2: The Kwakwaka'wakw, Kwakwaka'wakw.
1: <laughs> Jacob, take your time. Don't try to say it fast. Okay. Actually, let's just say that tribe.
2: That tribe. Wonderful. So, among the people of that tribe, they hail from the coastal regions of British Columbia. Um, there are legends of a creature known as the Bookwus or the Desangkwah. While these legends may not perfectly align with the Coast Silicious people's description of Bigfoot and Sasquatch, they still have the main tenets of Sasquatch and Bigfoot, large, hairy, humanoid creature. It should be noted, too, that the native people that these legends really originate from typically look at Sasquatch as being kind of a wild man that lives in the woods or a guardian of the woods. He's not a evil creature that you tell people don't go hunting out at night or don't let the kids get too far from the campfire or the Sasquatch will come and get you. He's really kind of like a lot of descriptions of Native American uh, understandings of their environment. They coexist with Sasquatch. They don't fear him.
1: Yeah, I one of the things during my research that I found is they kind of look at him as a caretaker of the ecology of of life. Yes, I guess— to use a
2: Dr. Seuss analogy, he's like the Lorax, but yeah. on steroids. Like, the Lorax meets <laughs> Hulk Hogan. On steroids. <laughs> Another explanation that I am going to go over in detail, because I find it to be the most likely, in my opinion, is the, and let me get my pronunciation guide for this, the Gigantopithecus. Gigantopithecus origin and connection between Bigfoot. All right. So Gigantopithecus was an actual genus of apes that existed long ago. They have actual fossil records. We can find their bones. We can find their footprints, which seem to be pretty similar to somebody's we might know about. Right. They lived from around nine million years ago, uh, but to as recently as one hundred thousand years ago. OK. That's pretty recent. That is very recent. Very, very recent. Especially when you consider the native people that lived in that area had been around long enough, right? That if they did observe Gigantopithecus in their environment, that's definitely something that your uncle and your great-uncle and your great-grandfather, they would definitely be telling you stories about this creature that they saw. Okay? While much of its life, the Gigantopithecus, remains speculative due to the limited fossil evidence, but there is some. Scientists have inferred some aspects of its lifestyle based on its anatomy and the environments that it inhabited. I'm going to give a rundown of Gigantopithecus, and I want our listeners to draw the comparison in the descriptions we gave earlier. Gigantopithecus was an enormous ape, bipedal in nature, but could also use its arms and hands to kind of scurry around the ground if it needed to. Some of the fossil records that we have show that the species was reaching heights up to 10 to 12 feet and weighing several
1: hundred pounds. Yeah, I am, in my research, um, Gigantopithecus, uh, based on their uh, fossil tooth measurements, mm-hmm. and uh, they estimate their height and weight to be about three meters or about 9.8 at the low end a uh, feet. Uh, and that puts them right at 440 pounds up to 660 pounds. So that falls right into what we were talking about earlier.
2: Oh, yeah. And, you know, some of the fossil records that I found, they, they identified that they weren't fully grown. Like some of them were juveniles or female. So a male Gigantopithecus may have been more than likely way larger, especially like an alpha male. Yeah. You know? Also, it should be noted that Gigantopithecus's size was definitely a deterrent to any would-be predators. I
1: can see that. I, I wouldn't want to.
2: That includes us.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't, like I said earlier, I wouldn't want to run up on something like that in the dark. Absolutely not.
2: The diet of Giganthopithecus, as we look at its dental records and what we can find in its fossils as well, basically believe that the giganthopithecus was primarily a herbivore. Analysis of its teeth and jaws indicated a diet that consisted of tough vegetation, such as bamboo. Its large molars and thick enamel suggest an adaptation to processing fibrous plant material. But it definitely had fangs, uh, canines and stuff. So it's also believed that Gigantopithecus would eat fish, small creatures that it could catch or kill with its bare hands. The giganthopithecus Unlike most of our ancestors, it didn't develop a lot of, I guess you would know, the prefrontal cortex or whatever we have that's a lot stronger uh, than other primates. It isn't believed that Gigantopithecus had the intelligence to develop any sort of like spears to hunt with. They would estimate at best it threw rocks and probably just beat things to death with its hands. Again, if it's this absolute unit of a creature, beating something to death was not difficult for it, I'm sure.
1: Right. So... Uh, Gigantopithecus didn't have the capability intellectually to create tools. No, uh, from what I understand, or uh, but may have evolved okay. into something that would maybe even a Sasquatch that could play the saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> the
2: habitat of Gigantopithecus is thought to mainly be in dense, dense forested environments. All right, particularly in what is now Southeast Asia, the presence of bamboo in its diet suggests that it lived in those areas where it could clearly be in huge abundance. Again, if this creature is several hundreds of pounds, it's eating a bunch of bamboo kind of like a like a panda.
1: It's probably eating all day long.
2: Oh yeah, foraging. For sure probably is. The thing about why I bring up Gigantopithecus is that even though A lot of its fossil records indicate that it lived in what we now understand as Asia. There was a connecting land bridge to North America that existed right where Alaska kind of reaches into Russia. That used to be solid ice. And a lot of uh, anthropologists basically speculate that a lot of our ancestors that now live in North America walked over this land bridge as they followed migratory prey like deer and birds and stuff like that. Obviously, Gigantopithecus, in a search for food to keep itself going, more than likely also made the journey into North America through this land bridge. Hence why we now observe a lot of Bigfoot and Sasquatch sightings in the Pacific Northwest. That's where it would have walked to, essentially. The behavior of Gigantopithecus, again, speculation uh, that a lot of these uh, scientists and uh, archaeologists and whatever, what have you, basically determine is that due to its large size, it more than likely had a relatively slow and deliberate way of moving, uh, sauntering or a really relaxed gait. Again, this thing had no natural predators. You wouldn't see this thing running. It had no reason to run. It's been suggested that it was more than likely a solitary animal or at best lived in small uh, family groups where it would be the leader. Maybe it would have a partner or two and a couple of offspring. There aren't massive herds. I don't know what the plural of Sasquatch would be.
1: Sasquatchy? I don't know.
2: Sasquatch I?
1: (laughs) Let's just say multiple Sasquatch. Multiple Sasquatch. There we go.
2: But the absence of natural predators of its size and the availability of an herbivorous diet obviously contributed to its less than aggressive behavior. (laughs) It wouldn't do like... uh, I think... The best way I've heard description of Gigantopithecus, if it ever interacted with our early ancestors, must have been very similar to a black bear. Now, a black bear is very terrifying due to its size. It's a very strong creature, but it's more curious than anything, Mm -hmm. and it wouldn't really attack a group of humans in order to get to its food,
1: you know? Right. We're not its food source. Exactly. In fact, uh, I heard a study that said that black bears typically only attack humans when they fear fear for their cubs.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, and I'm sure uh, Gigantopithecus had that same primal instinct to do that as well. Now, I will go over an account of Gigantopithecus being aggressive towards humans, but they're very sparse. Any records I find of that, but Gigantopithecus is now an extinct creature, allegedly. All right,
1: allegedly.
2: Its extinction was under some circumstances that are not entirely clear. If anybody has spent any amount of time looking into prehistoric or uh, you know older creatures that go back hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly why they just stopped existing. Obviously, the very first theory is climate change, that as the climate changed, it led to habitat loss and shifts in the vegetation. Obviously, if giganthopithecus has to eat a bunch of bamboo, the climate changing and it not being very abundant to it would cause a severe extinction event, also would probably explain why it migrated across the land bridge into North America from Asia to try to find that food source. There was also a theory that competition with other large herbivores uh, could have contributed to its decline. While scientists can make educated hypotheses about Gigantopithecus's life based on its anatomy and the environments that we find the records of it being in, much of its behavior, social structure, and daily activities remain unknown. We don't know what Gigantopithecus was doing for fun throughout the day. Uh, But we now have a bunch of eyewitness accounts and a lot of footage and stuff like that to kind of show maybe this is how it would have survived back in the day, during its heyday, the golden age of Gigantopithecus. But you've also got some other fun theories to explain Sasquatch. You know me. There's the interdimensional or kind of extraterrestrial component to Sasquatch. There was a really fun theory that I found online that suggested that uh, Sasquatch was a bioengineered creature that was dropped off by (laughs) extraterrestrial life, just to see if maybe it could be the dominant primate
1: eventually. So yet again, we're going back to aliens. Aliens, Yes.
2: I'm not saying that it's aliens, but it could have been aliens, right? (laughs) The interesting interdimensional aspect of it, basically, I'll just give you the cliff notes on this theory. (laughs) Uh, There's multiple universes that are layered on top of our own, and some you know, people that really dig deep into parallel universes kind of suggest that maybe there was a tear uh, of a alternate Earth that Bigfoot fell through. and Okay. Yeah, and he's just living his life out here.
1: <laughs> Sasquatch living his best life in the woods.
2: Exactly, right. The last one is one that I don't really agree with, but it's the psychological explanation that... Uh, our early ancestors and these indigenous people that lived they would see large shapes in the woods that could be trees or whatever. But again, you know, unnatural lighting or large abundance of natural lighting made it impossible for them to discern what they were looking at. And they just erred on the side of caution and said, there's a large creature lumbering around, not a tree shaking in the wind or something like that. But I, I don't personally subscribe to that. I think that there's, way too many really overlapping descriptions of Sasquatch Yeah,
1: that if it was like a pine tree blown in the wind,
2: I think we would have figured it out.
1: By the- I think so, too. I, You know, back when you had to think about things attacking you all the time, not that we don't have to do that today in today's society, <laughs> but back when we were sleeping out in the weather and, and all of that, people didn't... Just go, oh, there's something really big over there. We're not going to go over there. They went and investigated Yeah. to find out what the threat was. Exactly. Yeah. And dogs would bark,
2: signaling that there was a predator nearby or a large creature. Um, so, yeah, there definitely would have been some of our early ancestors that would have grabbed some spears and clubs and whatnot and checked it out, right? Yep. With this being our podcast too, you know I had to bring in the Appalachian connection to
1: Bigfoot. Absolutely.
2: So, while a lot of the origins that you will find of Sasquatch and Bigfoot typically hang around the Pacific Northwest, Appalachia definitely has its fair share of connections to Bigfoot or Sasquatch. It usually goes by a bunch of different names. I'll go over two of the most popular ones here in a little bit, but
1: uh is it Uncle Roy?
2: <laughs> yeah. Uncle Roy Big Jim. The two uh, most popular regional names in Appalachia for their version of Bigfoot. And I'm I'm curious if you've heard these before. Our version. Our version, right. <laughs> I'm curious if you've actually heard these. I'll go over the okay. first one I found. Here in Tennessee, they call it a
1: wood booger? A wood booger,
2: yeah. A wood booger. Okay, cool. So, or
1: I've also heard it called forest booger.
2: A forest booger, yes, yes. So in my research, I saw both. Yeah. I didn't understand why they
1: called it a booger. Like, why? You know, a scary booger. I've never heard that. Not what you pick out of your nose. Okay. Uh, Yeah. We call, we call, in Appalachia, we call things that are scary that we don't know boogers.
2: Okay. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. There's also, I like this term a lot because it does sound like a Dr.
1: Seuss character. It's known as a
2: wampus cat.
1: Wampus cat. Yeah, um, I've heard that term. Uh, I've heard that term more in relationship to really big uh, feline-type animals, more than than a Sasquatch-type animal. But I could see where people would get that crossed over.
2: The descriptions of the woodbooger or the wampus cat fall in line with a lot of the Sasquatch descriptions. They describe a large, hairy, humanoid creature dwelling in dense forests, Shocker, found here in Appalachia. Mm-hmm. Sightings and encounters with these mysterious beings have been reported by the locals for generations. I'm sure you probably know somebody that has probably claimed to see a Bigfoot or yep. a Sasquatch. I know I have met people that definitely claim to have met Sasquatch. Uh,
1: our former mayor in Knoxville.
2: Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. He still got elected after. That's crazy cool, actually. Um, The oral traditions uh, that we see prevalent in the Pacific Northwest are still the same here in Appalachia. If you claim to have seen a giant creature while you're out hunting or tending to your homestead or your farm, you definitely told everybody that would listen, especially your kids, anybody that gave you the time of day, you would tell them about this large, large, hairy, lumbering beast out in the woods. Obviously, with the large and expansive forestry and mountain region, as well as the numerous amount of caves that we've touched on in previous episodes, that kind of leads more credence to the idea that a creature like a Sasquatch could live in Appalachia and remain relatively undisturbed and undetected. But I thought it would be fun uh, to list the similarities of Gigantopithecus's environment in Asia and Appalachia because there's a lot more in common then you would lead yourself to believe. Now, obviously, the cultures are extremely different, but the regions, the landscape, both regions have extensive mountain ranges. We have the Appalachian Mountain Range here in North America, obviously, but the mountain systems in Asia, such as the Himalayans and the Altai Mountains, contribute to the rugged and diverse landscape, making it very remote, where most human settlements can't go to. Also, for anybody that... Obviously, has probably heard of the Yeti. They also uh, suspect that it is a offshoot of Gigantopithecus that lived out there. Okay. The Appalachian region also experiences a humid continental climate with four distinct seasons uh, that we all have, especially the cold winters that we just experienced, but with warm summers where bamboo can grow and thrive. Pretty, pretty good actually. I've actually walked around like in Maryville, which is a town close by to Knoxville. They have a beautiful greenway. And I was walking by one day and I thought, wow, why do they have all this fake bamboo planted here? But no, the climate in East Tennessee is actually really, really good, good for, for bamboo. It. With the dense amount of forests that are in the area, that leads to an explosion of biodiversity. So both of these areas, uh, Appalachia and Southeast Asia, exhibit rich biodiversity due to the different amounts of climate and humidity in the areas that these creatures are supposed to thrive and survive. The presence of a variety of wildlife also leads credence to the idea that a creature like Gigantopithecus could thrive in these areas as well. Uh, We have a lot of different creatures here in Appalachia that range in very different sizes. We've got You know, raccoons and possums, but we also have black bears. We also have large deer, creatures that it's clear that a large herbivore could grow, could survive, and get to a pretty significant size, relatively undisturbed by everybody else. And the final crossover similarity that I found between these two regions, obviously when you have a large mountain range, you also have really good river systems and watersheds. Here in Appalachia, we obviously have stuff like the Tennessee River, the Mississippi River. Uh, There's a couple of rivers up north that run down. In Asia, you have the Yangtze, the Ganges, and the Mekong Delta. So I bring up all of these similarities to highlight how if Gigantopithecus moved and migrated from Asia, it would find itself very comfortable here in the Pacific Northwest and Appalachia. As it chased more of a food source, I also think that as human settlements and development started to really come into the Pacific Northwest with like logging and a bunch of prospector towns, that it would force itself to get a little bit further, get some more distance from them.
1: Yeah, I don't think it would want to be around us.
2: No, no, not at all. I thought it would be really fun to go over some descriptions of the two Appalachian versions of Sasquatch, the wampus cat. I'll start with him first, but then I'll talk about the tree booger, forest booger <laughs> guy. <laughs> okay, The wampus cat is described in a lot of different ways. Most of it eyewitness accounts, but it's described as a large, fearsome creature with a mix of feline and humanoid features. It's been reported to be both bipedal and quadrupedal, uh, depending on how quickly it's trying to move or navigate a treacherous Environment like rocks or a cliff face or something like that, but a lot of them also describe it as having kind of like a cat-like face with cat-like ears. Uh, I guess some unfortunate souls are close enough to it described it as having pretty large teeth and sharp claws. Generally, its size being larger than the average bobcat or mountain lion caused a lot of double takes. And I'm sure somebody that saw it said, "That just that's not a normal creature that we normally right. see," you know. The wampus cat is said to inhabit remote and wooded areas, usually near caves, as it would probably drag its prey and obviously have shelter. Uh, the Appalachian Mountain region, I mean, just you can't throw a, a rock without landing in a cave in some of these areas. So the wampus cat, clearly, if it didn't want to be found, would not be found, okay? One fun thing that I found about the wampus cat was its ability to allegedly shapeshift, Okay. So some Native American tribes in the area that describe the wampus cat say, again, that it's kind of a guardian of the forest, that it tries to maintain the natural order of things in its environment, that it can take different forms of some of the creatures that you would typically see in the area, it could take the form of bear, take the form of a bobcat. There were even some reports that they would see it transform in front of their very eyes go from this large feline-like creature into a bird and then fly off. Um, so, I mean, outside of the cave systems and the dense forest, I mean, that's pretty good that it can basically anamorph into a bird and just fly off too, making it even harder to locate. Another aspect of the wampus cat that you'll hear a lot from other Sasquatch aficionados is its ability to cry or howl in a very distinct manner. Now, keep in mind that a lot of people that have lived In these areas are very familiar with the sounds of the, you know, wildlife around them. And they know for a fact that if they hear like a coyote screech or they hear a hawk also let out a shrill screech or something or a bear growl or something like that, they know what it is. They've lived there so long that they can just hear it and go, oh, yep, there's a wolf, there's a coyote, da-da-da-da-da. The wampus cat and sasquatch, they have a very distinct noise to their calls that is unmistakable. In the show notes, I found probably the most popular video I could find on YouTube of a gentleman recording The sound. He, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I listen to it at night like an idiot. It, it's creepy, man. I mean, it's super it creepy. Uh, I, I highly encourage anybody that's interested in listening to these noises to go ahead and uh, watch that video. So that's the Wampus Cat. I guess now I'll go over the wood booger. <laughs> So the fun thing about the information that I was able to dig up on the wood booger, it was also known as the Wundawasa or the Bujum. I tried looking into where the origins of the term Wundawasa come from because it sounds really cool, like a Native American type of origin. It kind of seems like it was a fake term <laughs> that somebody came up with and it sounded native and it gave it a little bit more credence. I couldn't really find any tribes that referred to something as a Wundawasa, but it sounds cool. It sounds All right. cool. I don't know where Bujam comes from. It sounds like Creole or something. It sounds kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, but it was a creature that was found typically around uh, West Virginia. Okay. So not only does West Virginia get the moth, man.
1: There's a lot of weird <laughs> creatures Noted around there. Maybe maybe they're talking about uh, Mothman. Yeah, I know, right?
2: <laughs> this is where he differs from the Mothman, though. The woodbooger is mainly described as having a thick, shaggy, matted coat of fur and a stocky and muscular build. It The size of its feet was very prominent. It was something that a lot of people noticed first, too, to say, golly, look at the size of the paws and the feet on that thing, right? Again, humanoid and ape-like in appearance. The size and height of the wood booger vary, but it's generally being portrayed as around seven, eight feet tall, definitely taller than the average human. The coloration of it was a dark brown or a black, similar to a bear, Mm -hmm. okay? Helping it blend into the forested environments where it was said to kind of dwell. This is something I thought was really cool and a similar uh, characteristic with the Mothman is that it's said that... In most of the accounts of the woodbooger sightings, that it had glowing eyes. Very luminescent features that if you were panning a flashlight or the moonlight would hit it in a certain way. This creature being so large, you could definitely see its eyes staring back at you in the darkness of the woods. That seems pretty... Ugh, not cool. The wood is described mainly as a shy and kind of skittish creature. It's not aggressive in its own nature. It's never charging at people. It's never trying to, like, flip a car or anything. Definitely not acting anything like uh, the Jack Link's Sasquatch trying to get some beef jerky. Okay, (laughs) Which I saw so many clips. If you could go back and watch those
1: commercials, they're hilarious. They were everywhere when I was doing my research.
2: Typically, the wood booger, if you confront it or like a lot of people in this area would do, they shoot their shotgun up in the air to scare it. It runs off immediately. It doesn't want any part to do with that. Okay. Also, yelling and making yourself known, banging pots and pans, that also scares it off. Uh, The habitat. The habitat. The habitat more than likely contributed to the matted, shaggy fur that the woodburger is said to have. It's clearly running through forests where there's branches and you know trees that it's bumping up against, so it doesn't need to get scraped or cut. A lot of people that claim to find evidence of the woodbooger see tufts of its fur stuck in tree bark or on a broken branch as it was running through the woods. Similar to the wampus cat, it has a very distinct shrill noise that it kind of does, it sounds almost like from the audio that I found, it sounds like a, like a
1: redneck almost. (laughs) I don't, it sounds like somebody hooping and hollering. Yeah. Um, The other thing that we really haven't touched on a lot or at all is that sometimes it's described both the wampus cat, the the forest or the wood booger and Sasquatch. Are often described as skunk apes.
2: Skunk apes, yes. That was another thing that I saw. Yeah, yeah the skunk apes. Uh, just from my own uh, childhood, growing up, when we were teenagers in the Loudon, right? We'd, in we'd, the Loudon, we would have bonfires and stuff, yep. you know. And I remember there was a there was a girl named Megan who had lived in Loudon her entire life, and she had the idea let's tell scary stories or something like that. And well,
1: what else do you do around a fire? campfire.
2: I mean, not tell scary stories. Roast marshmallows and kumbaya my I don't know, but... Freddy cat. We were like, okay, yeah, let's hear it. And I mean, the name of this creature wasn't very, you know, creative, but mm-hmm. she just called it scary. That's what it was referred to as. Like, oh yeah, we saw scary down there. Huh. And scary was kind of like their version of Sasquatch or Bigfoot, but scary was reported uh, from you know, her uncle that claims to have seen it on a hunting expedition for, like, raccoons or something like that, that it had bright red eyes, and its fangs were so large that the moonlight reflected off of them. Okay. Scary was also reported to try to, like, break into cabins and stuff like that, which really goes counter to what we understand
1: about Bigfoot. Sounds like some uh, person— (laughs) with not-vision goggles breaking into cabins. Yeah,
2: dude's just bored. Yeah. Just does it for fun, right?
1: I wanted to bring... Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I know,
2: right? I wanted to highlight the most prominent Appalachian report of a Bigfoot-type creature. I don't know if in your research you found this, but there was the Fayetteville monster incident. Okay? Heard of it. Yeah, so in Fayetteville... Uh, the report starts in 1973. Fayetteville, West Virginia, the family that was living kind of in this remote area on the mountain, shocker, reported at seeing a large hairy creature while driving in the area. They said that the creature was around seven feet tall, covered in that dark hair, but this was something that I find interesting because a lot of Sasquatch experts also point this out. It had a strong, very pungent, unpleasant odor. odor. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of Sasquatch hunters that I like. did my research on, watched your videos and stuff. They claim you can smell Sasquatch before you can before see him. Before you it. can see him. Oh, yeah.
1: I knew a couple people like that growing up, for sure. I know a couple people like that today. I'm just joking. It actually spurred a
2: huge ape hunt, Sasquatch hunt, in that area because a lot of people were scared of it. So they banded together a posse and definitely patrolled that family's property. They couldn't find the purported being, but they did find large, very large tracks in the mud near a cow pasture. Hmm. So that's, that's scary. One thing that I wanted to definitely bring up uh, in a report about Sasquatch having a very un- common display of aggression towards human beings, I think will explain why it probably migrated down to Appalachia. It was the Ape Canyon incident in 1924 near Mount St. Helens in Washington. Now, there were a ton of Bigfoot sightings in the Pacific Northwest, but specifically this one actually got published in the newspaper, which I thought was fun. I have a link for it in the show notes down below. The incident involved a group of miners, obviously getting really, really excited about finding precious metals and stuff. They're in a very remote area on a riverbank near Mount St. Helens, where they claim to have encountered not one, not two, but a large group of ape-like creatures in the area. They were in a cabin, resting up after a hard day's work, when they were allegedly attacked by these large, hairy beings resembling gorillas or orangutans. The miners described a night of intense aggression from the creatures, during which the miners engaged in a firefight to defend themselves. They reported that when they took refuge in the cabin, that rocks, large rocks, hundreds of pounds, were launched at their cabin walls, chipping the wood, thrown through the windows, broke their chimney, apparently. These ape-like creatures apparently just got in a line and just sort of chucking boulders at them causing them to say listen if we don't get out of this cabin we're going to die and they went out guns blazing they had shotguns they had rifles Uh, there was a report that one of the miners took a rock directly to his leg breaking it at a certain point but luckily they were able to fight them off scared them off I don't know killed one. If they did kill one, they weren't able to recover the body. It probably slinked off into the wilderness where they couldn't find it anymore. But the incident gained a lot of attention in the area. Now, there are some skeptics that are basically saying, oh, the miners came up with this because they didn't want anybody else getting around their precious metal encampment that they had. But I mean, if that was the case... Who was the dude in their group that drew the short straw? They're like, we're going to have to break your leg with a rock. Yeah, Really make this believable. Also, I know we're all exhausted from mining all day, but let's really destroy the one piece of shelter that we have out in the wilderness just to sell this story a little bit more. But I think that that touches on an idea that would explain why if Gigantopithecus was still around in the Pacific Northwest, as more people flooded out there, that it would cause it to migrate. And it would migrate in an area, in a map that I found, it would go more up north, kind of like through the Dakotas and stuff like that, then down into the woods of Illinois, where it then eventually would have found its home right here in Appalachia.
1: Right. I in, in, in my mind's eye, I see Sasquatch needing lots of open land. Oh, yeah. Lots of wood-covered open land.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that we don't learn from our mistakes as human beings tend to do. So while these miners and loggers were then disrupting the natural environment and the home for Gigantopithecus in the Pacific Northwest, we immediately started doing that here in Appalachia. Not only were we doing a lot of logging in this area, but obviously a bunch of mining also took place. This would also cause a huge disruption To the local ecosystem. So even if Gigantopithecus eventually made its way down to Appalachia, I would tend to believe some of the ideas that led to its extinction that as its environment changed, it just eventually died off either due to lack of a safe environment with a good stable food source and then also possibly inbreeding. As it gets scattered amongst the country, it can't find suitable mates and then it just eventually
1: died off essentially. Or evolved or
2: it evolved into, like, some of the guys I roll with at the gym. (laughs) I would be remiss if I didn't bring up possibly the most popular footage we have of Sasquatch, allegedly, and that is the Patterson-Gimlin film. Yep, I'm sure everybody listening that has any interest in this whatsoever has seen this footage. It's kind of a grainy footage of a riverbank, and, like, there's a forest line behind them and a log. And you see the guy as he steadies his camera. You see a very large creature like we've described earlier lumbering and swinging its arms. And then it turns and looks. And this is actually, if you've ever seen bumper stickers of Bigfoot kind of sauntering and walking. It's, it's based, the icon. Exactly. It's based off of this man's film. Uh, also, it should be noted, too, that the Bigfoot that they claimed to have seen was described as a female, which is why it was a little bit smaller in size. It was around six or seven and a half feet is what they kind of said it was. And while that definitely is significantly smaller than some of the descriptions we have of Gigantopithecus, the suggestion is the Patterson-Gimlin film is of a young female Gigantopithecus.
1: Yep. Um, I think it's also – Important to note that there are all kinds of uh, groups throughout the United States that that uh, search for uh, the uh, Sasquatch or Bigfoot. Uh, really close to us up in Marion, North Carolina, there's the uh, Western North Carolina Bigfoot Festival Ooh. that will take place this year on Saturday, May 18th. Um, and if you're interested, you can go to marionbigfootfestival.com. Uh, we'll put that in the episode notes as well uh, to get more information about that. It happens in about 114 days. Ooh.
2: Well, it's cool that you brought up other organizations too, because uh, listed in the show notes below, I've got a couple of really cool resources that I ended up using. And you can spend a good afternoon just going over some of these. But. The Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, or the BFRO, it has a comprehensive database of reported Bigfoot sightings and investigations. And something that's really fun that if you pull it up, you can see in relation to where you live, has anybody reported seeing Bigfoot?
1: Just super, super fun. That's super fun.
2: There's also uh, another organization that anybody wants to check it out. Super, super useful. Uh, The North American Wood Ape Conservancy. Uh, the N-A-W-A-C. It's a conservation project similar to like those conservation groups you would say, or you would see that would say something like, we got to protect this really unique type of bird or fish that lives in this area. Don't build a dam. But it's actually protectors of
1: Bigfoot. Bigfoot, wow.
2: Well, so I mean, when they propose like a pipeline or new forestry projects or an oil drilling area anywhere, they are part of the hundreds if not thousands of groups that then petition the government and say you can't. Now, they don't get as much airtime as the other groups when they talk about we got to protect the wood apes or the Sasquatch, but they still exist and they have a lobbying group, believe it or not. yeah. And that's basically all the information that I have on Sasquatch or Bigfoot. But Ed, like, whether you're a believer or a skeptic, there is no denying the positive footprint that Sasquatch has
1: left on our society. Oh, my God. Really? Oh, yeah. Fun fully (laughs) intended. Jacob, your final thoughts on Sasquatch? So,
2: I figured it would be fun to basically tie in another cryptid that has very similar origin stories and theories surrounding it. The Loch Ness Monster. There's the theory that the Loch Ness Monster is some sort of ancient creature that still lives amongst us today due to its remote location. So maybe there were a few living members of Gigantopithecus in a herd or tribe that lived in North America before the widespread expansion of the United States as we pushed ourselves out west. But as the increased presence of people in those remote areas grew, their habitat having to change negatively affected their life. And these creatures packed up and hit the road and then just scattered amongst themselves. I definitely believe, I definitely believe that Bigfoot is real or was real. I believe that he was a genus of apes, giganthopithecus. There is concrete evidence that that creature existed. I'm sure that he existed here in North America too.
1: Well, Jacob, in the quiet whispers of the forest, in the hushed tales around the campfire, the legend of Sasquatch has found a home. The elusive creature, a symbol of mystery and intrigue, has captivated our collective imaginations, not because of its physical presence necessarily, but because of what it represents in our hearts. The Sasquatch is more than just a creature of folklore. It is a testament to our human need for wonder, for the inexplicable, for the magic that lies just beyond the realm of the known. We believe in Sasquatch, not because we've seen it, but because we need to believe that there are still mysteries in this world waiting to be discovered, that there are still stories waiting to be told, In the end, the legend of Sasquatch is not about the creature itself, but about us. It's about our capacity for curiosity, our thirst for adventure, and our longing for the extraordinary in an increasingly ordinary world. We believe in Sasquatch because we need to believe in the possibility of the impossible, in the power of the unknown, and in the endless potential of our own imagination. So as we venture into the wilderness, let us carry the legend of Sasquatch in our hearts, not as a creature to be feared, but a symbol of our own human spirit, our own desire to explore, to dream, and to believe in the magic that exists, not just in the world around us, but within ourselves. Because in the end, we believe because we need to. And that is the true power of the legend of Sasquatch. Well, family, that's it for this episode of the Ravensville Cauldron. I'm Ed Bolden Greer. And I'm Jacob Garner. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you like what you've heard, make sure you join us next week as we look into the history and mystery of my co-host, Jacob Garner. <laughs> we, <laughs> we are going to be nosy as hell. And Jacob's agreed to answer all the questions that listeners send in. Isn't that right, Jacob? Unfortunately, yes. Now, family, you adults have a few chores to do. Go on over to RavensVale.com and see about doing your chores on social media. Follow us on all the social media platforms that we've made available just for you folks. Like, listen, subscribe, and follow wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you don't mind, leave us a rating and a comment. You can find the RavensVale podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you haven't already, just search for RavensVale Cauldron Podcast. And again, make sure you hit the follow button to stay up to date with all the latest episodes. Oh, and tell a friend about us, won't you? So until next time, family, see see you soon. soon.
0: The Cauldron is a production of Small Raven Media. Today's episode was hosted by Ed Bolden-Greer with guest co-host Jacob A. Garner. Audio engineering and sound design by Nick Devan at Nicky D. Sound. Copyrighted 2023. Small Raven Media. All rights reserved.